Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, if you're um, new to fullness, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, glad that um, you're worshiping with us. We're doing a series called Prepare. Every year we start the new year with 21 days of fasting and prayer, prayer and fasting, which concludes this Wednesday with a a time of celebration and testimony. So if you're part of fullness and you've been engaged in this time of prayer and fasting, we want to encourage you to come Wednesday night at 6.30 here in the sanctuary. We're going to worship. We're going to share testimonies. We're going to have communion together to break our fast uh, symbolically with uh, the the body and uh, blood of Jesus as we pray for one another and, and celebrate and hear from one another. If God has spoken to you, Uh, something specific during this time that's for our body, we would encourage you to bring it that night. Any prophetic word, anything that God has given you about us, um, then then bring it Wednesday night and let's, let's share it with one another. We are doing a series talking about preparing for, for what God has. The model that the world puts in front of us, and I've said this over the last couple of weeks and I've said it before in years past, the model that the world puts in front of us is to predict the future and then plan to meet your prediction, to, to, to kind of project what uh, your future might be and then make plans, set goals, hit your goals at a certain time frame to meet your prediction. Now, I'm all for setting goals, planning, working, that sort of thing. You'll see that this morning. But one of the aspects of this system that is flawed is if your prediction is wrong, then all your plans and goal setting is wrong as well, right? Uh, And and the future is in many ways unknown. We can see it change in an instant. We can see things come at us that we could never have predicted, and as a result, everything about our predictions are now off. Um, One of the things in our lifetime that we are still, I think most of us uh, young enough to remember is 9-11. Everything changed on that day. Everything changed as far as predictions of financial markets and different things that were going on. it, It was altered in an instant that no one could predict. All the plans up until that point got radically altered. Instead, we believe God is calling us to prepare, to get ready, and then when he moves, for us to participate with him. And so this series is on preparation. We've talked about this in the weeks past, how how it's like uh, the analogy I've used in the past uh, is that of a surfer who goes out to meet a wave. They, they get their board, they wax their board, they prepare, they they paddle out to meet the wave, but then they just have to wait for the wave to come in. But when the wave comes, then they hop up on their board and they ride. We are in this tension, really, in the Christian life of working to prepare, but at the same time waiting on the Lord to move when He moves. Look what it says in the book of Isaiah. This is one of those uh, famous prophetic passages where the prophet is saying, oh, that God, you would rend the heavens. Rend means to tear open, to to tear open the heavens and come down. That the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down 
to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who what? Who wait on him, who wait for him. We're, we're waiting on the Lord. We're waiting on the Lord. But I, here's what I want you to see this morning. I hope that we gather this morning, and I'm going to do another sermon on this in a couple of weeks. Um, this waiting is not laziness or doing nothing. Uh, we, we, we get in this, this dynamic tension where we at times feel like, I, I don't do anything, it's all God. And so when God moves, then I'll see him move and then I'll jump in. And we, on the other extreme, we think we do everything to make God move. We, we, we work really hard and God's not going to move until everything is perfect, until I've got my life in order and then uh, everything is lined up within me. Oh, by the way, when is that going to happen? Never, because you won't ever be perfect. But at the same time, there's this tension where, that we live in where we're saying, I'm doing, I'm preparing. I'm doing what I, I know to do. I'm, I'm spiritual disciplines. I'm with the people of God. I'm trying to hear from God. I'm praying. But at the same time, an acknowledgement that I'm waiting on him. I can't force his hand. I can't make him do anything. God is God. But I'm going to join in when he moves. Over the past weeks, We've looked at this passage from Ephesians, which starts out by saying this. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. First week, we looked at, hey, it's time to wake up. It's time for us to wake up. We, we're being called to the alarm. Then he goes on and says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Walk, Make, he's saying, be careful then how you live, how you walk with the Lord. Redeem the time. Make the most of every opportunity. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We need to hear from God. We need to understand what the Lord's will is. We need to gain wisdom. And then he goes on and says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with, wake up, walk with the Lord, understand, redeem the time, Try and gather what the Lord's wisdom is through his word and through his people and through his spirit and be filled with the spirit. These are steps of preparation. Steps of preparation. Today, I want to talk about what does it mean to be truly prepared? What does it mean to be truly prepared? And I'm going to look at what I consider one of those really tough parables, uh, one of those really challenging parables that Jesus gives in the book of Matthew, it's, it's called the parable of the ten virgins. Uh, I, I know the term virgin has a whole different connotation in so many different ways in our society. It's really, you could call it the parable of the ten bridesmaids, if you want. Uh, the, the bridesmaids. And let me give you the background, give you the parable, look at it, and then we're going to talk about what does it mean to be truly, truly prepared. I want to go ahead and line up the next couple of weeks for you. Next week, uh, my brother is going to be here to preach. 
my brother Brian, who's a pastor in South Florida, so please don't miss that. Excellent um, man of God communicator, even if he is my brother. Uh, you can tell him he's like the second best preacher in our family, um, but that's all right. I, I used to say um, he was like the third or fourth best preacher when my mom and dad were alive. Actually, my mom was the best preacher in our family, and she preached often at our house. <laughs> Not in a public pulpit, but she could preach it. Anyway, he'll be here next week, so please be here for, for that. Uh, and then the, I'm going to do one more sermon on preparing from the end of Mark, and then we're going to talk about participating with God. Uh, we're doing a whole series called Practicing His Power. Practicing His Power, based on a book by Sam Storms. We're going to look at it on Wednesday night. We're going to look at it on Sunday morning, uh, talking about walking in the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit. Um, we are a church that believes all the gifts of the Spirit are still here for today. What does that mean? How do we encourage one another? How do we walk in that as a people? How do we participate with the purposes of God? So those are the days and weeks that are, that are coming up. Today, though, I want to look at this parable of the ten bridesmaids, the ten virgins. And it, it's coming in a series of parables in Matthew 25 where Jesus is talking about really his return. He's, he's talking about what does it look like when, when he comes back. And by the way, the, the return of Christ is not, is, I'm going to say this as strongly as I can, is not an optional truth. It is not one of these things where you can say, well, you know, Jesus, he was, he was crucified, he was buried, he rose again, he went to heaven, and, you know, he, the whole coming back thing, I don't, I don't, do you know that it's one of the primary themes of the New Testament is the return of Christ? Uh, I was doing some research on it this week. It's mentioned in, there are 260 chapters in the New Testament. 260, I didn't count them all, I looked this up, uh, just to let you know. Christ's return is mentioned 318 times in 260 uh, chapters. One verse out of every 25 verses in the New Testament mentions the return of Jesus. It is, mentioned, it is not mentioned in only three books of the New Testament, the book of Galatians and the books of 2nd and 3rd John. I mean, it is a critical truth that we receive that Christ is coming back. Now, I don't want you to fall in the ditch on the other side where all you ever focus on is the return of Christ. Uh, the whole eschatological perspective can become mind-numbing uh, because there's certain mystery to it that Jesus didn't unfold for us other than he is coming back. The truth that he's trying to tell his followers before he even ever leaves. I mean, can you imagine getting these parables before? He's still right there. And now he's talking about coming back. And he has crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. None of that's happened. And he's talking about, as you're a disciple, you've got to be like, I have no clue what we're talking about here. But we do now because we've got a different perspective. But the perspective that Jesus gives in this parable is one of being prepared, being ready for his return. And he starts the parable off by saying, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. 
Five of them were foolish and five were wise. And then he goes on and tells the parable, which we're going to read verse by verse, but just to summarize it, in that day, in that day, the groom was more important in the process of the wedding than the bride. You know, today, everything centers on the bride. Everything is about the bride, right? I mean, <laughs> trust me, I've done enough weddings. Everything is about the bride. But in uh, the Hebrew mindset in these days, it was really about the bridegroom. So the, 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 they would arrange the wedding, and then the groom would... It depends on the tradition, but the groom would go away to negotiate with the parents, a dowry for the bride, and there'd be a, a thing that take place, and it became a time of waiting. The wedding was happening, there's some negotiating taking place, and then whenever it all got settled and more of a surprise party, then the groom would show back up, and when he showed back up, then the wedding would take place. So you've got these 10 bridesmaids. They've all got their mauve dresses. Uh, <laughs> that was supposed to be funny. You know, those bride, I, I've seen some of the most hideous bridesmaids' dresses in my existence than you can imagine. I'm not even going to go there. So they, they're, they're all ready. They're, they're bridesmaids. They're ready. But they got their lamps because he might show up in the middle of the night. Five of them have taken enough oil with their lamp that if it's delayed, they're, they're ready. And five are foolish they didn't. Sure enough, about midnight sometime, the bridegroom starts coming. They hear the call. The five wise have their lamps with their oil. They're ready to meet the bridegroom. The five foolish don't. As a result, they turn to the wise ones and say, hey, give us some oil in your lamp, from your lamps. And the, the, the half of the bridesmaids say, eh, no, we're not going to share. Uh, because then we might run out too. And the five, they say, go, go, go out and buy some. Well, it's midnight. Who's going to be open? Walmart wasn't there then. No 24-hour stores. Nowhere to go to, to buy oil. So they go out. As they're searching for oil, the bridegroom comes. They start having the party. The door is shut. When the bridesmaids who didn't have any oil come back, the door is closed, and they and others cannot get in. End of parable. Now, it's a tough parable, Right? I mean, it's a tough truth, but here's what I want to look at it for us today. Um, I'm not going to concentrate on all the eschatological things. I, I want to look at what does true preparation look like? What is true preparation? If we're going to be prepared, what does that look like for us? So here's some, some, some truths that I would like for us to, to kind of examine. First is this, true preparation is inward, not outward inward, not outward. Now, you might be saying, well, wait a minute, the oil is outward, right? So is that not outward? And that's not, the, that's, not the, that's not the truth of this parable, that the oil is outward. In other words, here's what's going on in verses 3 through 5. It says, the foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. And I've read a lot about this parable about the oil, what it represents, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, um, could be any of those things. I, I Personally, I think it's just a picture of their lack of preparation, um, that they didn't have the oil with them, but we, you can read into it about that if you want. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, 
and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Here's the point. From the exterior, the wise and the foolish looked exactly the same. They all had lamps. They all had their bridesmaids' dresses. They were all waiting. They looked the same from the outside. They all had an affection for the bridegroom and the, and the bride. I mean, they were there at the wedding. They're giving up their evenings. Uh, they had the same equipment. They all went out to meet the bridegroom when he was coming. Like I said, from all outward appearances, they appeared the same. But they weren't. There was an inward problem with the foolish ones that was displayed in their lack of preparation. We live, we live in an age of image and style. It's all about how we, how we look, what we look like. And as a matter of fact, in our age, image has become more important than substance. Let me just give you some, um, some examples, cultural examples. Uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, famous writer, justice, uh, in 1850s, he wrote, an, uh, right when the uh, photograph had come out, he wrote an article about photography. And in it, he predicted, and this is the 1850, it's 1859 when he wrote this, it's an essay on the subject, and he predicted the rise of style as an encompassing obsession of mankind. He said that the photograph was an image with a memory, and that the time was coming when the image, listen to this, the image would become more important than the object itself. He said this, men hunt all curious, beautiful, grand objects as they hunt cattle in South America for their skins, and they leave the carcasses of little worth. The idea that we're just looking at the exterior, not what's inside. Diana Vreeland was the high priestess of style for um, the 60s and 70s. Um, you may have seen the movie, The Devil Wears Prada, uh, an older movie. Diana Vreeland was the editor of Vogue, and she came before the lady who was symbolized in uh, The Devil Wears Prada. But she really set the stage for the whole idea about style. And she would say, fake it, fake it, fake it. Never worry about the facts and project an image to the public. The art of someone, she said, the art of success is to create a world as you feel as it is should be, as you wish it to be, as you wish it into being. And it all had to do with style, not substance. I believe that her predictions, her, not predictions, but her forcible truths about this leads to the rise of people like Paris Hilton and the Kardashians who, who projected an image of style, who became names because they had a style, not because of substance. They didn't really do anything. Please don't throw stones at me about picking on Paris Hilton or the Kardashians. But from my old age perspective, they became famous just because of an image, not because of something substantive. 
in the 21st century, the damage has been done. Numerous surveys confirm that only 8% of an American audience pays attention to the content of a speech. 42% pay attention to the speaker's appearance and 50% to how the speaker speaks. We are, we are the products of style over substance. It continues to, 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 to gain weight. And, and here's my question to us. Am I consciously or unconsciously equating a Christian lifestyle with a relationship with Jesus? Let me say that again. Am I subconsciously or unconsciously or even consciously equating what I would call a Christian lifestyle with a relationship with Jesus? And there is a vast difference. If you wonder why, why uh, young American adults are turning away from the church in droves, it is because what they've experienced is a people with a lifestyle or, or misunderstanding that to look Christian is to be Christian. I'm not getting a lot of amens here, but uh, the point being that to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to have a relationship with Jesus. It is not about going to church. It's not about uh, giving to the church. It's not about dressing in a, in, a, in a certain way. It's not about our hair. It's not about our makeup or lack of makeup, or it's not about... Uh, jewelry or not jewelry. It's not a, those are externals that people confuse with the Christian faith. And inward preparation is not the same as outward appearance. The bridesmaids give evidence of this. Stephen Wright, I, I don't know if you know him, he's a comedian from earlier generation. He had the weirdest delivery and some of the strangest jokes, which I found hysterical. Um, if you ever get a chance to watch him, he's, you can still watch him on YouTube if you want to. Be careful on YouTube. Uh, but he had a joke that cracked me up all the time. He said, I bought some used paint the other day. He, he always had this Delivery. It was like monotone, and then he paused, and he would say, it was in the shape of a house. <laughs> I mean, the absurdity, you can't buy used paint, but this used paint already. The, the point being this, you, you can't have, you can't buy a used Christianity. In other words, it has to be your own. It has to come from a true faith with Jesus Christ. Revelation 2 says, Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. So you may be saying, wait, wait a minute. Is it, but the deeds are external. But Jesus is saying, look, it's, it's not the external, I'm going to pay you because I'm searching your heart and mind and I can see the, the deeds that go with a heart and mind that is... In other words, 
I don't know if I'm saying this very well. I hope you catch it that to be truly prepared starts with an inward preparation that does carry on to the external. But if you start with the external, thinking you're going to change the internal, you're going to be all messed up. It's by the power of the Spirit that indwells us. It's about inward character, not image. If I were to go through today and to say to everyone here, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? Most of us would say, I'm doing fine. I'm doing really well. Or, you know, the Christian talk is we want to appear like we're doing something. So we'll probably say, well, I'm, I'm doing great, but I'm really busy, but I, I'm doing well. There's some researchers by the name of Lichter and Rothman who have written several books and other independent research agencies. And I know you can make statistics, say whatever you want, but in a congregation this size, even this size, if we are typical in our church and American responses, then three out of ten of you are unhappy in your marriage and th have thought about divorce in the last week. Forty percent of you have cried tears within the last week. And I, I mean legitimate, like, mourning before the Lord or just hurt. Seven percent of the population, are, and that would mean in, the, in a group this size, 14 to 20 of us, are so depressed that they're not sure how they're going to make it through the next week. And of those, three of us in the congregation this size have thought about suicide in the last week. And yet, we would, most of us say, we're doing okay. Of the men present, there are at least 10 men who have given serious thought to having an illicit affair in the last week in a congregation this size. Now, I'm not saying... There are 10, but I'm just saying if stats hold true in a people this size, what I'm saying is we are far from fine, but our, our, our image has to be fine. We have to project an image. Is it no wonder that the church in many places is going down in flames because all we are projecting is an image without any substance? We are a we are a used paint house if we don't start focusing on what really matters. That true preparation is inward, not outward. How are we going to know if we're really prepared? Here's the, here's the problem. True preparation is really revealed in crisis. It's revealed in crisis. Matthew 25, 6 says, At midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come and meet him. Here's the bridegroom. It was a crisis. Now, the word crisis in the Greek, it comes from the word crisis. <laughs> it's funny. It's where we get the word crisis. It just spells with a K. K-R-I-S-I-S, crisis. And it means judgment. That what happens is when a situation happens, what we call a crisis, it really reveals what is there. Crisis reveals what's really in our hearts. Is it just a Christian lifestyle? 
when my mom passed away, she was really the first one that I was that, you know, a family member. Uh, we, we live in an age many times where we are insulated from death at the same level as other places in the world. If you wonder that, just go read Nate and Gerald's blog from yesterday. Uh, if you don't get their blog, you can find it on Facebook, I think, or some other place. But anyway, I was sitting there with my mom, and she's, she's in the process of dying. She's in hospice care, and um, I didn't want her to be alone, so I stayed with her through the night. Um, and this thing happened to me where, as I'm sitting by her bedside, I started thinking, I pray that all that I preached and all that I believed is really true. I mean, the crisis of the moment stirred up within me this thing that said, I really pray that all I've said and all I've espoused over all these years is really true. Because what happens in those crisis moments is things get shown in you. Now, just to say, I, I believe it's true. But it's thoughts like that in crisis moments that will come to you, that will happen, that God will, I think, stir up within you It'll reveal what you're made of. Hebrews 9 says, Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time not to hear, uh, excuse me, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. He's wait. We're gonna. We're all gonna have a crisis, so to speak, a judgment. And what's gonna be exposed is what's really in us. What I'm saying is, look, people, it is time to prepare for those moments, um, because what's really in you will be revealed at that moment. And so many of us are just cruising through, saying, "I, I don't need to be prepared. I'll just." You know, I don't know what we think is going to happen in that moment or those moments, but we need to be ready because crisis moments will occur in your life and you need to be prepared for them now. I also believe this, God is going to move. The bridegroom, the Spirit of God is going to move. And when he moves, it's too late to start prepping then. We need to be getting prepared now to participate with him when that moment occurs. Third point is this. True preparation cannot be transferred from one person to another. True preparation cannot be transferred from one person to another. Matthew 25, 7 through 9 says, then all the virgins woke up. They, they fell asleep. They get the word, bridegroom's coming. You get it. You, they're yelling out, but they'd fallen asleep. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil our lamps are going out no they replied there may not be enough for both of us and you instead go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves here's part of the point i i I think god is saying to us we may get prepared in community but individually we have to be ready each one of us 
it can't be transferred from one person to another. My, my daughters are both in college now. Uh, my youngest two are uh, both in college, and they're part, uh, they go to Mississippi College, and at Mississippi College, uh, they don't have sororities. They have a thing called tribes, uh, but they're sororities that aren't quite as sororitized or whatever. They're, they're a Christian version of a sorority. And they, come, they start using this language, this sorority language, uh, about uh, uh, bigs and littles and grand bigs and grand littles, and I, I have no idea what in the world they're talking about. So I have to stop them and I say, is it really nice to call another girl big? She's my big. I mean, really, is her size really that important to... And they correct, no, 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 Dad, what that means is she is a year older and I'm, I'm her something. I, I don't know. I'm related to her. And then there's my grand big, which is her, her big. And I'm like, well, grand big sounds worse than even big to me. I, I, I don't know. But they use all this sorority language, this lingo that only the initiated really know. Here's the point I'm trying to bring up is this. God has no grandchildren, only children. I mean, if, if you think as a parent, I'm in the faith, and so I'll just pass down the faith to my kids. Do you know, faith is not transferred like that. Faith has to become the faith of their own, right? I mean, have we not seen that so many times? where we think, oh, if I just take my child to church, if I just do one or two things, then they're going to they're gonna catch it. Now, listen, I do believe the Bible, as I, I'm going to point out, says in the psalm, look, do everything you can to put your kids in a position where they can hear from the Lord, but ultimately they have to hear from the Lord. Faith cannot be transferred. Preparation cannot be transferred from one person to another. I believe that the greatest calling in my life was not to become a pastor. It was not to the ministry. The greatest calling of my life was to fatherhood. The responsibility God gave me of my children. And I, I've wished a hundred times I could go back 30 years. Um, I was arrogant before I had children. Uh, and then I had children and I was humbled. Uh, I used to judge parents by the way they raised their kids or what they did with their children until I had children. And then I realized, oh, my Lord, please help me. There's no formula here to this. And then I had a second child, and he was so different than the first child. Just when I thought I was rolling, okay, I'm getting this. I know how to deal with this first one. He gave me a second one who was like, I, I love the boy, but he was crazy. I mean, it was just like, I, you know, I still at times wonder, how do I navigate here? And then he gave me a third one that was radically different than the other two. And then he gave me girls, and uh, God help us all. Um, but the call of my life, I mean, I love you, and I want to be a good pastor, but the call of my life, I'm not going to sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry. Because I believe that the call of my life was to, to, to raise my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And would my life have been a success if 
If I had a great church and my children, none of them followed the Lord, or even one of them didn't follow him. But the point being this, I, there's, there was no guarantee, still not, I've learned, that their faith has to become their own. And so I pray for my kids daily. I pray for your children. We did this on Friday at prayer time. We prayed for children uh, that had been a part of fullness that we sense had not, are not walking with the Lord at the present time. We called out names before the Lord to bring them back to, or bring them to faith in, in God because this truth, it can't be transferred. The oil, he's saying, can't be given from one person to another. You have to be prepared. We have to be prepared. You know, there are certain things that happen that I don't, I don't understand. Like, every Sunday I come in here, and there's water on my thing. I have no idea where this comes from. I don't know who puts the water here, but I, I'm very grateful that the water's here. But I... I didn't have anything to do with it. It just showed up. And you know what? One Sunday a couple weeks ago, it wasn't there. And I was kind of ticked off <laughs> that it wasn't there. But I didn't know who to blame. <laughs> I didn't know who to say, where's, where's my magic water that just comes every single Sunday out of, out of nowhere? We're like that as people. We start to expect things. I, I, I go to the movies um, occasionally. I go to the movies. I hope that's okay with some of you. And if not, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I, I, went to the, I go to the movies, and my movie theater has been renovated, and now all, it's all recliners, heated recliners. I, I mean, it's unbelievable. And in one of the theaters, the seats actually rumble when the movie rumbles. You know, so you're sitting in it. It's heated. You're reclining Ooh, wow, there's an explosion. It rumbled. And I went and saw a movie with Jared and Caleb recently, and we're leaving the theater, and they are griping about the buttons on the recliner. They're griping because they make no sense. And Caleb is saying, you know, the, Caleb, Caleb is saying, you know what? In one engineering class, I could have fixed these buttons where they make sense. Because you, you don't know which button to push to recline, or lean back, or come down, the buttons make no sense to them. And I said, you guys are a piece of work. <laughs> we just sat in recliners that rumbled and heated, and all you can do is gripe about the stinking buttons. You couldn't enjoy the movie because you're so worried about, about the... Is that not human nature? That we expect things, or we think things, or we suddenly it becomes the norm to us to have seats that recline and rumble. Here, here, here's my point. You can't, you, you start to expect that faith is going to just be kind of caught, like the flu. But faith, to me, it, it, it is about a relationship with God through Jesus, and, and, and it, it takes nurturing. It takes time individually and the thing that you model for your children please listen to me the thing that you model for your children is not rules regulations even forcing them to go to church what you model for your children is an authentic faith of your own 
And when they see that and the difference it makes in your life, it will lead them to a place, I believe, where God can begin to speak with them. Now listen, I'm, I'm all for going to church, right? I'm all for giving to the church. I want to make these things clear. I like those things. I believe in those things. But those things will not convince someone to become a part of the faith. It has to be caught. And it's caught, I'd say, it has to be realized for an individual for themselves. Here's, I know I'm saying two things at one time that may not seem to coincide with, with the truth. The truth is this. I'm trying to present to each and every one of us, we need individually to be prepared. And in our relationship with our children, we need to demonstrate to them what authentic faith looks like. Psalmist says this, O my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from the next genera- uh, from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. Then they would keep, they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Anybody ever say, saying, well, wait a minute, Pastor Bart, isn't all of that stuff just stuff you told us doesn't work? Like teaching them doing this? Listen, I think what the psalmist is saying is not a legalistic form of a relationship with God, but in, in teaching who God is and what he's done and continually demonstrating it to our children, they will in turn be led into a faith of their own. If the Israelites demonstrate anything, it's that you can't force a people into following God by doing commands, Right? It's why the prophets came. Hey, it's not about the sacrifice. It's about the heart of the one bringing the sacrifice. God is calling us as a people to be prepared. To to stand in worship with hearts that are ready to worship him. At the end of this parable, Jesus says, But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Here's my encouragement to us. I pray that the Spirit of God will take all of this that I've said and try and make some true reality for us today, which is this. Don't, don't focus on the facade. Focus on a true relationship with God. To understand that I need, I need the stamp of Christ on the character of my heart 
to really be prepared. And I can't do things right on my own. I only can, can keep hearing from the spirit of truth to direct me in the path that I'm to go in the future and that I have to walk in faith myself and in doing so demonstrate to those around me especially my children what faith what faith looks like we're going to continue this in a couple weeks hopefully I'll clarify bring some clarity to some of the things I've said today which will help direct us on what true true preparation looks like here's what I want to do I want to pray for you I want to pray for us that God would show us areas in our lives where we have substituted um, the external for an internal and where we need to receive this for ourselves and, and to walk in it. Lord, I pray this morning that your truth would be, that Holy Spirit, you would come right now, that you would, you would help for each of us clarify what and where we need to be prepared. I pray that the oil of the Spirit and of the Word of God would be poured out on us because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the resurrection, and that we would walk in your truth, we would walk in your life, we would walk in your plans, your purposes, so that when you do move, God, and as you move, we'll be ready to move with you. Lord, we don't want to miss you because we are unprepared. And at the same time, Lord, we say, wow, we, we are so weak, we can't even get prepared without your presence indwelling us. So, Lord, help us to wake up, to walk with you, to redeem the time, to understand what your will is, to be filled with the Spirit, so that our lamps, so to speak, our light is always ready. We are ready to walk with you and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to take up an offering.